several times a day checking uh, international news just to see, you know, what's going on. And that's usually I'm, I'm go, I, I use uh, Reddit World News. So, but it is um, uh, it has its own particular bias. You know, it's just user submitted stories and stuff like that. But that's all just signal amplification, right? It's just like everything else related to news and politics, there can be a billion things happening across the, the world. And if you're a person who can amplify signals or an organization who can amplify signals, you find the signals that you like and you amplify those and you leave the rest alone and that's what becomes the news. So um, right. that's, I'd say, where we get most of our news, all of us. My choice happens to be Reddit world news. <laughs> but anyway, this thing that you're talking about with the retirement, uh, the Social Security retirement age going to 67, I have literally never heard of this. And I'm a bit upset about that uh, because I watch, I watch the news. International news includes uh, U.S. news. And this has never made it on the list. So that's... You know, but anyway, this article says that um, I didn't read the whole thing. I can't read it all while I'm talking here, but it says that it, it's saying that the changes to the retirement age were initiated in 1983. Uh, so it seems to be making it out that that the increase from 62 to 67 was initiated in 83, and it's all kind of just an automatic process, but. We'll see if that is true later when I finish the article. Well, yeah, and and that's the thing. I mean, like I say, they're talking about means testing. They're talking about, you know, um, um, uh, 70, obviously, if you stay working until you're 70. Well, see, again, it's it's the carrot and the stick. If I can get Isaac to consider, gee, I can keep working or not, even if I don't keep working, I can delay taking it. So in other words, I can set myself a little nest egg up that I can use between 62 and 70 or 65 and 70, and then I won't start taking it until I'm 70. Well, the carrot and the stick there is, will you make it to 70? And if you make it to yeah, 70, right. how much beyond 70 will you make it? So instead yeah. of taking it at 62 and instead of taking it at 65, you know, you made these choices to do this and then wound up at 70, not even being here. And so because right. you didn't, yes, because you didn't take it at 70, your surviving spouse would get the difference between hers and yours as an increase so in other words <clears throat> your spouse is going to have and again when the spouses no longer are working and they're not adding to it um over time then they can reach a point in time which they will learn that gee if i don't go back to work and keep putting something here in I won't even have the minimum eligibility. Now, maybe I'm not saying it correctly or whatever, um, but we have people right now. In fact, uh, Jeremiah can vouch for that. We've got a couple people in the cottages that are have gone back to work so that they can 
get the additional necessary in order to you know meet the minimum eligibility or qualifications that I think is it's required for I think it's something like they have to work a certain number of hours or a certain amount per week in order to still receive benefits. Well, prior to collecting benefits or in order to receive benefits is what you're saying. It sounded like they don't get Social Security if they don't um, have enough work or something right i, I well, don't know because i didn't really talk to him about it but right right uh, well and and so whichever it is whether whether they've already began taking and they have to maintain a certain number of hours in order to be able to continue to take it at their age you know so let's say that they started taking it i don't know i don't spend enough time even bothering my mind with it but um you know, these are just things that the average person doesn't know anything about unless you make a diligent inquiry about what this program actually is and what it's actually either doing to your overall wealth production or, you know, what it's actually doing for your overall wealth production. Uh, and so, again, um, just another example that the vast majority of people don't have any idea. We were just talking this evening too. Think about how many people have died as a result of this jab. And for example, I was starting to tell about the spouse. So for example, let's say that you have a spouse that died here anywhere in, you know, um, from, you know, age 50, I suppose to age 65 or, you know, anywhere in between or whatever they, if they've, began taking it at 62 but the point is is that from the point in which they're no longer here if the wife had eleven hundred dollars in accrued per month as an income from social security to her and the spouse had fifteen hundred the only thing that would be added would be she doesn't get both once the other one is deceased if you're in a life insurance policy, you get whatever the life insurance policy was. Social Security, we just cut the other person out and we give you the difference between the 1100 and the 1500 So yes, she gets an increase to 1500 but that certainly isn't like getting the full, you know, 2900 or whatever it would have been, you know. And that's just another one of these things that, you know, where is all this laid out for anybody in the beginning and to discuss whether this is a financial program you want to be involved in? Well, it wasn't. <laughs> it was just it was just told to the people this is going to be made up all because all because. All because of the financial games and tricks that were going on in the early 1900s that caused the Great Depression. All because of that was the Social Security. We're going to make sure that you're never in this situation again. We're going to take money out of your accounts and you're going to build up a retirement so that if anything ever happens, nobody's spouse is going to be destitute without a little bit of money to be able to survive on. And that was the 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 bone that was offered the people 
And I swear, I don't understand why throughout society and life, societies have not stood up more and been more vociferous along the way about some of these things and what the overall ramifications of what it was that was being proposed was going to be. I just, I don't know if it was a lack of education on the people's part. They just didn't know. Um, financial things were just too mind boggling or bending for people. I, I don't, I don't know other than just sheer panic and sheer relief that government was going to do something for them. You know, I, I don't know, but it's really a bad setup. When I was doing the workshops and stuff, you know, 30 years ago, I would tell people you're going to get by the social security administration's own reporting and statistics the average person was going to receive between 25 and $75,000 less in um, benefits than they would have actually paid in. Well, if your Bible tells you that a, a wise man gives to his children's children an inheritance and that a wise man, you know, brings his five talents and turns them into 10 and so forth, then why would you want to go backwards 25 to $75,000? And that was 30 years ago when I would do those workshops. I don't even, haven't even gone to it to ask and make an inquiry as to, as to what it would be. I, I do know this. I do know that still today, if you were to invest the same amount of money that you're putting into Social Security on just a 5% return, you would beat your social security to death because really your social security is only doing about 1%. It's just astounding. Yeah, maybe not last year. Society. In general. What? Maybe not last year, but in general, because because last year inflation was something like 9% plus, right? So you've got to invest and get 10%. So you've got to be on the high high end of your uh, right. getting a return out of your investment in order to just squeak by inflation but right and, and so again again when you read the articles that will you know to say this to i mean you can go to heritage foundation and probably heritage foundation which is a conservative you know think tank it probably has something regarding how bad social security as an investment truly is but then once again, like you said, you got to invest in something that's going to get you a 10% return. Well, we we didn't look at our investments as a rate of return per se, 5%, 10% or whatever, because you know we we did other things, which was invest in real tangible things rather than expecting yeah. somebody else yeah, to provide this in the future. Right. Yeah. And so um in that sense, those investments are going to actually kind of move with the inflationary rises because those investments are tangible investments. They're going to go when that market goes in that direction as well, unless you're, you know, this is what I've always known about raw land. Raw land, you think, gosh, it'd be 
good to always have raw land. Well, raw land never seems to have a increase in value commensurate to what you can with improved land. You know, improved land is always going to have a better um, remarketability, if you will, than just the raw land. Uh, raw land, yes, um, don't get me wrong, it, it goes up, it has gone up, but not usually at the same rates of improved land, I guess is probably what I should say, not probably at the same rates. Yeah. So, so you know, there there you have it. Uh, just, just a couple, three weeks ago, Ron asked me, he says, well, you know, well, what do you, you know, I know you got real estate. What do you, you know, invest in? And I, and I said, that's it, Ron. I said, what else can you put your fingers on? You know, cause he was complaining that, you know, that last, you know, change in the stock, you know, gave him a, you know, 30% whack, you know, and <laughs> you know, I, I don't know how to, and of course, all the talking heads tell you just just hang on, just be patient. Everything yeah. will be all right. You do you don't invest for five years. You invest for the long term. Well, you know, if you think you've got three million dollars and it comes to you know twenty twenty six and and it's actually one million, then you know, what what do you want me to do, or how do you want me to say it, or how would you like me to help? <laughs> you know, I. There's not much I can do about that. And somebody got your wealth. Somehow. Yep. 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 That's I, I'm very close to somebody who took their money out of real estate and put it in stocks over the course of time and got wiped out. Made plenty of return on the real estate stuff and then Got wiped out in stocks in 08 yep. and following, and that's a life changer. It truly Are is. We doing, uh, it truly is. Isaiah 2 today or holding off? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've got Isaiah 2. I don't think it's going to take very long. I know we're. I just started the recording here at the top of the hour, so we had a few of this, and and so, but we can definitely get underway with it. And um, like I say, I think the the biggest uh, biggest part of Isaiah two that deserves most of the attention is probably through the first twenty twenty verses or so. But do you have anything you want to bring to the table to start with, or you want me to? Uh, no, I don't have the same kind of kind of outside of Isaiah overview as I did last time. I thought that there was some pretty interesting stuff, like you said, in the first 20 verses or so. I mean, it's not very long. It's, well, it's only 22 verses, so of course there's interesting stuff in the first 20. Um, yeah, there's some interesting stuff. I'll get your attention when we get there. All right. Sure. All right. Well, you know, basically, as as a, as a review of Isaiah chapter one and and the prophets in general, as I mentioned last week, 
um, I thought I would do this uh, a, a little bit of an introduction, but one of the most significant reasons that I think this prophet Isaiah has been so impressed upon me in the spirit over these past several months is because Isaiah, I think, is much like we find ourselves today. We are literally lone voices in a sea of our own contemporaries um, who seem to desire and find refuge in alliances with other nations and peoples, utterly willing to replace God's you know, sovereignty to rule over us with whatever new world order alliances or you know nato alliances you and you you name it that 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 we have created and all of these alliances bear you in mind have been in the last 100 years you know give or take and this i think is is really a, a critical period of time that we find ourselves in and so I think this that the prophets are are clearly the record of the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, Israel, and this is something that completely gets missed by most Christians. When we're reading the prophets, we should be reading them as the record which they are about that covenant and it's just it, it they bear the record literally and undeniably. Uh, they are the veracity of of Yahweh, that meaning his his words that he spoke, his promises, his curses, and as they are historically appraised. So we can literally look at them and realize and watch the history that already happened at the time of the prophet or that is going to unfold and therefore becomes history for us. And it just, uh, they provide the confirmation, uh, the manifestation that Yahweh fulfills unequivocally always his end of the bargain or his end of the treaty. And frankly, the marriage covenant, which is exactly what it was. And when we fail to grasp the gravity or the weight of that concept of the marriage pertaining to the covenant, and the prophet's record of those breaches of the stipulations of those mutual obligations, then much of the gospel message will yet be without meaning, full understanding, and even proper application. So he's the author of this righteous contract law. And I think this is another thing that tends to get in the way for most people is they don't think about things in terms of contracts and contract law and that there are stipulations in a contract in other words you know items that are supposed to be observed and that's what we have here that's what was outlined in deuteronomy that is called the law and there's nothing vague or ambiguous there's no vague or ambiguous clause if you will in there either and um obedience is required uh, on both parts and if something does not happen on one or the other part there's there's going to be uh, a consequence there's a provisional consequence and there's ultimate consequence and the prophets record the manifest violations of the agreement the, the penalty terms and ultimately Due to the love that Yahweh had of Jacob Israel, the very contingency plan 
of such a, a profound incomprehensibility that it inspired those words that we hear at Luke chapter 16, verse 31. And I quote, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, though one was raised from the dead, end quote. And so we're in that state right now where convincingly we understand and know that one was indeed raised from the dead. But yet the very reason for why that occurred and happened and so forth has been shrouded in mystery, if you will. And um, I believe a getting back to an understanding of how that was laid out by the prophets and the record relayed for our learning would go immensely to helping us to turn back. And I think when we read even chapter two as well, we're going to see so much of that really driving home uh, the very principle to us that that we've we've got to really get on a trajectory here that that is going to either change it or it's not you know one of the two is has got to happen so just by a little bit of a way of a of a recap and an introduction into that i thought i'd just kind of share that but um as we go into chapter two um again it's a recapitulation which we find often in scripture it's just a recapitulation uh, things that you find in Isaiah 1.1 is Isaiah 2.1. You know, it opens with the same distinction to Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 2 and 3, I find are pivotal in that it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. Why is this so pivotal and critical? Because the pivotal and critical components of a reign of Jacob Israel under the dominion of the Messiah is what is being conveyed and discussed in this short little phrase. It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of Yahweh's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. Very critical component. First of all, you have a timestamp. It is indicating that it shall come to pass. It shall come to pass. That That's critical because that tells us that somewhere between the time that Isaiah was given these words to relay and somewhere in time between there and now, it was to come to pass. Uh, Micah 4.1 is a uh, passage of scripture uh, as a contemporary prophet to Isaiah that would have uh, Isaiah 4, 1, or Micah 4, 1 to 4, that would be very critical here as, as per, pertinent to this mountain of Yahweh's house. Uh, also Ezekiel 17 and 23. And that's where we're going to, we learned about that we've covered in past fellowships about that tender twig the high branch of Isaiah 11, 1, which we'll see as we get now further into Isaiah's prophecies and we get to Isaiah chapter 11. The second um, component here uh, that I find here is the mountain of Yahweh's house um, is to be established, essentially, is what's, what, what is being conveyed. And um, I was thinking of... 
uh, Exodus 19, 6, uh, Daniel 2, 34 to 45. Um, Exodus 19, 6 was, was words spoken long, long before the time of Isaiah. And Daniel, uh, certainly uh, much preceding Isaiah as well. And then the third component, all nations of Israel were to flow unto it. And that is exactly what has happened with those nations who predominantly have received that gospel message and flowed under that gospel message and and found, you know, um, that security back in uh, coming under that that covenant with with Yahweh. And so those are three pretty significant um critical components that i find just in in verse two alone and thought i would uh, you know elaborate there you know because sometimes we just read words and we don't take the time to kind of unpack the meaning of those words verse three and many people shall go and say come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the lord to the house of the god of jacob and he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And, you know, all nations of Israel to flow unto it. It's establishing, once again, Yahweh's moral and righteous dominion is to be over the nations of Israel and their institutions. And that moral and righteous dominion in verse 3 says will or actually cause or have the effect of many people coming to it and saying, let us go up to the mountain of the house of Yahweh, the house of God, and he'll teach us of his ways. And this is exactly what happened when you look at Britain and America. Every people of every kind um, in across the globe, almost without exception, Look to America and Europe as, you know, great bastions of liberty and prosperity and opportunity. And that was because these nation peoples predominantly came to that good news of that gospel message back to the righteousness of their God and began to re-implement and reinstitute much of his word into their legal arrangements, their political structures, and even their, um, you know, religious institutions and other secular institutions. Was it complete? No. Because we're finding ourselves in the same situation that Isaiah is, is conveying that the people were in uh, the house of Judah and, and specifically all that was now remaining, which is the, the city of Jerusalem. Um, so it's it, the... Um, um, it, it's very um, it's a very um, strong um, manifestation that we see here 
that we should be able to reflect on in our own countries right now. And turn with me to, I've made a note here about the the law um, and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. Um, Psalms chapter 19, verses 17 to 11. And I'll keep clicking along here uh, so that we can cover this. Psalms chapter 19. Uh, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters the speech, and night unto night shows the knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is going is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them has he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of Yahweh is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Yahweh is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of Yahweh are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Wow. Why would we want anything else? Why, why, why would we want anything else? And then we go into um, verse four. He shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. This is one of those verses I was mentioning, you know, a few weeks ago when we were talking about doing Isaiah. This is one of those verses where, you know, somebody takes this and says, well, this hasn't happened. Obviously, if this hasn't happened, then Isaiah can't be fulfilled prophecy. And yet we're trying to take something into such a literal interpretation rather than understanding the expression of the word or the the expression of the group and the summation of the words but there truly is no doubt that there was a period in time in which israel and judah stopped trying to go against one another and this is something that was prophesied that was going to happen and so it either happened or it didn't happen and the answer of course is it did because judah and jerusalem uh, excuse me judah and and Israel were formed under the new covenant and those that heard his voice and came in and sought that refuge and believed on on him who came to redeem them they certainly had no reason to fight against each other anymore and this is part of what this whole verse uh number four is about um it's form and function basically the god of israel 
it's his will in the earth that is also expressed here. Would we have any need to have to have swords and rather turn them into plowshares? If we were abiding truly in his will and in his word, this is the manifestation of what his, his goal and objective is, what his ultimate will is. And so to say these things is, you know, he's essentially speaking this into existence in his own right, just as we want something to happen and we want to speak it into existence, as well as we labor in every endeavor that we can to bring it about. And so this is, you know, God, in essence, doing the same thing. It's an international or universal acknowledgement that that he has to exist. This creation has to exist by some divine order. And um, secondly, I think it's not supposed to be by conquest that that we carry out his will. In other words, Jacob Israel had no more authority, whether Israel, house of Israel, or the house of Judah has no more authority to go around the earth utilizing means of, of force and conquest. Force and conquest was not his will, just as, it, as many things that we do that we find that we can engage in are not in his will, but if the consequence turns out that it actually worked out, you know, in the end, that would be by his divine operation more than anything, more than likely. And that's what I mean by that is that we don't always get things right, you know, um, and we don't always take Esau and Jacob, for example. There was no reason for Rebecca to think that she had to. Um, um, do any intervention in order to have the will that was already spoken by the word of God that it was going to be in Jacob would the seed be called that had already been divinely uh, spoken and so forth to think that she needed to deceive Isaac into believing uh, did I say Rebecca? I should have said Rachel, right? Um, and to make her him think that she would that it would be necessary for her to deceive Isaac and and you know put a garment on Jacob so that Isaac would think that it was him, it wouldn't have mattered. And this is you know what God tries to show in the record. So just because we take a humanly intervention, doesn't at all mean that that had to be done. And so in, in, in our case as well as being servants to the people of the earth through this manifestation here of doing things in his will and doing it according to his ways, others were going to flow unto it. And they did. And now we allowed those that flowed unto it to turn us from the way and from the will and consequences are now that we're seeing a great decline and the righteousness that we're supposed to be um you know showing forth to the world is now the world looks at us and says you know you guys are a mess 
And they're exactly right. I made a note of Isaiah chapter 32, 17 and 18, and I, I don't know why. So I'm going to flip over to 32 quit because sometimes I'll make a note and it really wasn't for anything, but I just happened to be making a note to me that I was reading it or something and it may be applicable. Let me see what I had here. 17 to 18. Uh, okay, yeah, it goes to this issue. Um, then judgment shall dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness shall remain in the fruitful field. The work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. And my people shall dwell in peace, peaceable habitation, and in sure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. What a promise. You know, it's just... I can't wait. I don't think that's happened yet. Well, well, yeah, exactly. I don't think that's happened yet. But you see, we've had periods of time in history where these things do happen or have, in essence, transpired, but then we quickly regress. Yeah. And, and so we have to look at it for the totality of what he's trying to tell us, not that he's looking for this certainly he in his mind's eye absolutely he's looking for this and why wouldn't we want to look for it you know what i mean and so it's proven by the scriptures that you know britain and america are, are not providing this leadership anymore because that's really what it is it's it's a servant leadership and the basically the apostate you know, is setting in the seats of authority and promoting a forced agenda. And even when you consider, again, the people who call themselves Jews today, their whole intention in their own words is that they are to rule the world. And this this is not evident in the scripture it's nowhere in the prophecies that there is supposed to be some kind of a conquest by these people known as jacob israel not at all it's it's done by example i i think is probably the best way to to put it and nowhere as i say is it ever conveyed or recorded even that the world's inhabitants are to be absorbed into judah or that there'd be a worldwide dominion under the order of this people that we call Jews today. That doesn't even exist. And so to, to even think that, or to even uh, intend that that is the direction that we're to go, it entirely misses God's whole will. And I think that verse four proves it because it says, uh, or it proves that that's actually his mind because this is what it records. And he, and he, he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people and they shall beat their. So when we are being judged in righteous judgment, the inevitable objective would be, why are we doing this? Why are we repeatedly becoming judged by our creator when the judgment is to train us so that we will now be able to, to, to pound those 
swords into plowshares and we no longer have to have those swords and i think this is as much pertaining to specifically to the enmity between the house of judah and house of israel as i indicated as do anything that we would do in the world's inhabitants it's not by force it's by or a domination of a people called jews today even if they were of the house of judah this is not the objective we're to live under his sovereign will that's from the beginning of the uh, of the record to the end of the record and then it says uh, for out of zion the deliverer goes forth and th the law and his word from jerusalem that's exactly what happened the deliverer came out of, of uh, uh, out of zion the deliverer goes forth and the law meaning his word from jerusalem it conveys ruling the world upon his law and his will and so from jerusalem as we've reviewed in fellowships in the past the, even these last few fellowships from our bird's eye rev, uh, view of re the revelation of uh, uh, christ to john the new jerusalem is upon the foundation of the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of israel who were given the law so he has a servant people and a foundation upon which this new jerusalem was to begin to flourish and thrive and all of that points right to genesis chapter 49 where jacob's prophecy and blessings to and upon the 12 sons so when we look at for verse four to be something of a literal fulfillment that hasn't occurred, we're actually misinterpreting it by not recognizing it as literally his will. And I think that the scripture clearly indicates that's how he wants this interpreted. The, pro the prophet actually gives us the bird's eye view and even as you said last week, Isaac, he, he you know, the Cliff Notes version, um, you know, which we can be assured that the prophet is reflecting from the past sins to the present sins, and yet even the future sins, whether under Jotham, Ahaz, Uzziah, or any other leader. And it it just i think that <laughs> would to god that our religious leaders were were teaching in this vein for the past 100 years but it's obvious why it was not being done because there were infiltrators <clears throat> who did not want that to happen they do not want to see the ways of christ meaning the what we call christian ways but it is the ways of christ the will of god it's it's as if there's still this desire that we're going to resist following his will and even a people called jews today are clearly not for all professing uh, of doing things and all their outward manifestations and so forth 
um, it is fraught with sin. Um, and it's not to cast any disparaging um, uh, um, uh, connotation to the exclusion of uh, those professing Christians or those of any other. It's to actually bear witness that no matter which way you look at it and slice it, there's a woeful falling short of the will. Verse 5, O house of Jacob, come you and let us walk in the light of Yahweh. Very, very much like uh, verse 18 in chapter 1, where he calls you to come, let us reason together. We're actually, you know, to walk in his light um, is, how do I want to say it? It basically encapsulates the intended messianic kingdom under and in accordance with the will of Yahweh. And reference to Jacob specifically, I think is clear, denotes the natural seed of Jacob. And that actually, that reference occurs nine times in the prophet of Isaiah, that, that very term that we see, O house of Jacob. And I, it's if if we clearly um, think of it in terms of the conscience of God, um, we're seeing the continual conflict that's laid out, basically from now in verse six, pretty much until the end of the chapter, punishment for disbelief of God's divine will and His protection, and this is exactly what is upon Judah as it falls more desperately to its own devices in an effort to somehow ameliorate its own deteriorating condition. And I was thinking about that today as we're looking at things in America. You know, the condition just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And some of these passages here in in actually in chapter three, because I was looking ahead here, some of those passages in chapter three are going to look a lot like what we're seeing today. And the the punishment for disbelief is what's going to be upon Judah here in very short order in the, you know, the subsequent chapters here. And it's just it's just going to be disregarded. And so. <clears throat> Uh, when you look now from, as I say, verse 6, um, it shows that hey, verse let me 6, interrupt you for a minute. therefore thou, yeah, go ahead. It's these over these next several verses, I think it's really interesting to, like if you really emphasize the words they, whenever you see they, you read they or you hear they and, and there, Isaac, we're not hearing you. Uh, all right, let me get my window pulled back up here and see if something happens. We lost him, it looks like. Oh, we lost him. Okay, well, while we're getting Isaac, now well, he's getting reconnected. 
Um, uh, from here in verse six, um, let me just read six. And then by that time, hopefully he'll get back in. Uh, therefore thou hast forsaken thy people. So the prophet is saying that Yahweh has forsaken his people, the house of Jacob, because they be replenished from the east and are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they please themselves with the children of in the children of strangers. Uh, all right, Isaac, you got back in, so go ahead and express your thought regarding the terms they and their coming up. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, my connection dropped there, and I had to call back in. Well, I just think this is interesting i mean i might have a different opinion than some of the people here um but this every time it says they and their here this is this is a prophet uh, a prophecy delivered to isaiah from god that is saying and, and it's talking according to five about the house of jacob right and it's saying right. Like you guys screwed this up. You're doing this. You're you're doing this to yourself. You've done this to yourself. You messed it up. It was all you. Um, and I think that's really important to read. The influence. Uh, you know, you read through this. The influence. Like they've got. It's just talking uh, an aid about the idols that they've brought into their land from other nations. Yeah, they mm -hmm. they brought that in themselves. Sure, they were influenced by these outside nations. It says in uh, six, uh, they're soothsayers like the Philistines, and they strike bargains with the children of foreigners. They're doing all of this horrible stuff. They are being influenced for sure by ex uh, outside nations, but they're doing it. They're allowing it. The the responsibility is on them. It's on the, the, this group of people that is committing these sins. And I think that's really important because I guess I guess when we're talking about all this stuff and we're like, like what the Philistines are doing to the people, like when the Philistines come in and conquer the, the people and they drag them out into, or, or the Assyrians, I should say, and the Babylonians, and they drag them out into captivity, that's a punishment, right? That isn't just some random right. thing that happened that God let happen, and it just happened, and now everybody's got to figure out how to recover from it. That was a punishment because of the stuff it's talking about here. So if you're trying to figure out, like, how do we fix all of these problems? Well, the, the source problem is not that, well, we live in Assyria because we were taken as slaves and now we live in Assyria and all we have to do to fix the problem is get back home, right? That's not the source problem. The source problem is that they turn their get back to God. Get out of Assyria. <laughs> and, well, that's, right. that's not it. That's exactly. not the solution. You're, you're, gonna, you're not going to get out of Assyria because God dragged you over there because the core problem is that you turned your back against God, as it's describing here. So I think that that is pretty critical to recognize and this isn't the only spot in the old testament that talks about this you know it's it's cover to cover so that's it yeah yeah absolutely and and just like you said take that word uh, you know going on from six there because we have both in five and six O house of jacob and now i'm in the second half of six um uh, because the house of jacob replenished itself from the east 
and our soothsayers like the Philistines and the house of Jacob pleased themselves in the children of strangers. And the house of Jacob's land is full of silver and gold. Neither is there any end of their treasures. Their land is also full of horses. Neither is there any end of their chariots. The house of Jacob's land also is full of idols. The house of Jacob worships the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. So by just using the house of Jacob in every yeah. one of those verses there, it, it does really kind of keep repeating the thing. Now, the thing that I found interesting in these actual scriptures here, um, uh, um, Jacob, because they be replenished from the east, that is number 4390. It means male, or that's the, de the word. It means to be filled with Eastern influence. And the American Standard Bible uses the uh, translation, they are filled with the customs from the East. And an interesting yeah, my, note um, on the East. Go ahead. New American Standard says, uh, because they're filled with influences from the East similar right yep and um an interesting note on the east is that the people traveled to the east to actually build the tower of babel and it's also where cain was banished to and east was also where much of the pagan religions looked to when jacob israel forsook the covenant and sinned and that's when yahweh said that he would not be with them anymore it is jacob israel who's cast off their god first and he makes no bones at making sure the prophet <laughs> clarifies unequivocally you guys broke this covenant you did the things that you were instructed not to do and yep. the records of kings and chronicles they're replete Can i cut with, in real quick yeah those activities go ahead um because my phone's about to die um oh crap can you hear me yeah okay um but you were saying to the east and Who's to the east that we give all of our money to now? <laughs> and that controls you. all of our countries and the yeah. media and everything else. Oh. And when you go back to what he was saying before about like making deals with the foreigners and stuff, um, all the deals we make with all the foreign countries, NATO and all that, we shouldn't be in any of those. And that's why we're in the situation we're in currently because we're not listening. And right. I think we need to get back to the to the basics because that's where we're in the most trouble because we're not listening and we're not going and seeking Yahweh. We're all out here trying to seek a buck and everything else and to, you know, please ourselves instead of just seeking him and just waking up in the morning and saying, you know, good morning, Yahweh. Thanks, thanks for another day. And 
if we all just did that as the people and just got back to his laws and followed, you know, just the basic, just, you know, love our brothers, love Yahweh, number one, um, and to quit making deals with, you know, all the foreigners and stuff and to separate ourselves from everybody else. And, you know, a lot of people take that to the, to the extreme and go to like hate mode and everything. And you were supposed to hate evil and things of that nature. But as far as the other races, we're the princes and the princesses and the priests and stuff of the kingdom. You know, we're supposed to be the stewards of the other, the others and they're yeah. suffering because we're not doing our job and putting Yahweh first and we're letting the, you know, the Edomites take control of everything and do everything that is against what Yahweh commands us to do. And if we just listen to him and we turn just simply to him and we wouldn't have to even, you know, name them. All we would have to do is turn back to his ways and do what he commands and everything else would direct itself out because the parasites wouldn't be able to function in our governments and our civilizations because they couldn't uh, function in a moral, just society that follows the laws of, you know, loving your neighbor and doing the right thing and not being an evil devil. Yeah, and and one way or the other, we're going to get back to that because his word is true. And if we aren't going to do it on our own, he's going to see to it for us. And that's the whole thing about a parent-child relationship that I see so much too, is that you know, you're always intending for the child to learn from the instruction, but at the point in time in which punishment comes in, that that punishment has already been forewarned about, that's, you know, that's the ultimate. When that arrives, that has to be done in order for judge, in order for the message to be clear and for the righteousness of Yahweh to actually shine forth. And as I say, in these captivities and so forth, it it's going to happen. And that's what he said is that, you know, I'm going to carry out the punishment and you will, you will come back to me and I'd rather it be sooner than later. Uh, I'd rather not. How many times would I gathered you like little chicks and, and so forth. So absolutely. I agree with you a hundred percent. We're like I said, I think the best way to put this is that, those who seek after him and are calling themselves by his name, we're supposed to be those stewards. We're supposed to have that light that shines. And if that light is not shining, we've got to look at why it's not shining and what it is that's causing it to be extinguished and rectify what it is that's causing it to be extinguished. And that's when the punishment's supposed to be carried out at our hands for those that are working against his will. And he justifies us in that, not as as conquerors. He justifies us as his servants carrying out his will. And, you know, when you think about it, the records of Kings and Chronicles, they're replete with those activities. Uh, Uzziah's conquests, um, 
Second uh, Chronicles 26, you know, that brought Judah in close proximity with the Philistines again and their cultish divinations. And uh, that's obviously or apparently uh, helped them to become like them, just as Isaiah 2.6 was describing here. And when you continue in verse 6, says that they please themselves in the children of strangers, meaning they join hands with strangers. Um, I was looking that up to try to understand what that means of, you know, the, you know, join hands. And it's also clasping of hands, just like we would in making an agreement. And so it's, go ahead. What strangers is it? Is it knockery or is it the other one? I'm sure that it's probably knockery. Um, I didn't look strangers up in that particular verse, but I could probably do that. Um, absolutely. You know, the, the point is that, so when they're making these alliances, let's see, do I have, uh, I could go back here real quick, uh, to two, six and get a strongs on that quick, or I could take that Bible that was given to me <laughs> a very nice gift. And I could probably see real quick on two, six. Um, uh, let's see. Let's see. So what does the King James use there? Let me look at that again. Six. Soothsayers please themselves and the children of strangers. Yeah, okay, so it's 5237. And uh, I'd have to look out. Okay, I'm going to do it right here because I got it. Uh, Strong's. All right, so uh, last word of the passage. Uh, it's using foreigners. It's, it's, it's nocrium, not knockery. Nocrium still means foreign, alien, uh, you know unknown so uh it's uh, uh number 5237 N knockrium is just another word of knockery meaning stranger foreigner and so so that that's what we're seeing is the very thing just like we're seeing today and yet the vast majority of professing christians today will not recognize and deal with the reality of the situation that they please themselves in the children of strangers. Now, we know that there, we're under an invasion and we're under that invasion by hostile forces that are propitiating it, but they really don't understand yet that we're not supposed to have the engagement with these strangers in the way in which um, I think in a sense, their hearts know because it's laid on their hearts, but the concept is so foreign to people, especially those professing Christians, because their church worlds have not taught them that. They've taught them that we're all one, and God never said anything about us all being one, and I'm not even going to go to the scriptures that the New Testament people will always use. We're all of one blood because they've got it all wrong and all twisted and improperly interpreted so that'll be for another day but um clearly this is what's happening is is strangers that are amongst us drawing us away from the will 
and we're allowing it as Isaiah, uh, Isaac said, we're constantly having to recognize that we brought this on. We made the exceptions. You know, we go back through the law in this country and what was happening with the immigration laws and the forces that were at work to change those immigration laws. But we made mistakes far before that with the whole idea of the, you know, the advent of slavery to make a buck, just like you said, John. So, um, but it just came to mind all of these different conquests. They didn't achieve the result that God was desiring, you know, through the various kings uh, in activities and so forth. And so when you can, when it says that they complained themselves with the strangers, they're actually forming these alliances. They're forming these alliances economically, um, militarily, and even matrimonially, you know, in marriages. And when you look at Christian America and Christian Europe, it's unmistakable how our alliances with the United Nation goals and objectives have brought us lower and not the top of the mountains or even exalted above the hills our children have been drug away into lewd and reprehensible activities of those of the east and it's just as pure and simple as that go ahead and all that stuff is happening because we're saying at each turn god isn't good enough for us right yeah. god isn't good enough to protect yeah. our country uh god god's not good enough to to take care of like our food or our ability to provide uh, within our own country and things like that. It's every single one of those things that we're bringing in. God isn't good enough to entertain me, you know, so I'm going to bring in entertainment. Just It's over and over. God isn't good enough, so I'm going to go out and seek the thing that, that I desire from someone else, whether that's like at an individual level or national. It's, it's all yeah. a, you know, a, rejection, even, a rejection of God. You know, even all of the churches, um, whether it's Lutheran, Catholicism, uh, Episcopalian, all of the major branches of the Christian uh, religion have all in their bylaws and so forth signed on to these UN objectives. And the vast majority of people attending these churches and affiliated with these different denominations don't know that, don't know that their very charters agree with the goals and the objectives of, of the United Nations that we all worship the same God and we're all, you know, this, this various stuff that is, is, is making the United Nations the God. And, you know, when you say God's not good enough, I almost think that what he thinks in his own mind is, you really don't believe me. <laughs> you know, that, that's actually what's being said when you, when you say you're, re you're really not good enough. You're really saying, I don't really believe you. I don't really believe that you really exist. I don't really believe that you'll actually do this. I don't really believe that that. But, you know, isn't it funny how they'll always say, well, God's in charge. And so when you look at all this destruction upon us, why doesn't everybody say, well, we're getting this destruction? Some of them do. Some of them do. Uh, you know, we're getting this destruction because we've gone away from from God. Um, but in the reality is 
if this is happening to you and God is indeed in charge and you believe that, then you have to believe that this is your punishment. <laughs> and it, it's just, it's like you can't keep everybody going in the same direction on the same page. It reminds me of um, Numbers 23.7. I made a note of that as I was doing the, the notes for this. It reminded me exactly of Numbers 23.7 in Balaam's parable where it records that Balak, king of Moab, brought Balaam from Aram out of the mountains of the east. You know, I had missed that. Uh, let's let's go there to Numbers 23.7. I had missed that, but as I went back to that thinking, how was it that this happened? And he wanted uh, Balaam to curse um, Israel. And so I went back to Numbers 23, and I, I read that, and I thought, wow, check that out. Uh, Numbers 23. While you're looking that up, um, something that came to mind from watching Dr. Wickstrom, he'd, he'd say, do you believe Yahweh or do you believe in Yahweh? Right. Yeah. And then. Amen. But then it goes deeper. It's do you believe him and believe in him? Because you can believe in him and not believe him and believe him. But, you know, not really believe in him. Yeah. And the I think the biggest problem we have as a people is we don't call upon his name because most people don't even have a clue what his name is. I didn't have a clue what his name is. It took me 35 years to figure out his name. Yeah. Yeah. And I, well, I've only, I, yeah, I've only yeah, got yeah. an un understanding like two years ago. Exactly. Yeah. And, and me as well. And I mean, I, you know, coming to an understanding of, of his true name and that it was taken out, you know, more than 5,000 times, you know, it it started to it just is another one of these things well why was it you know who who in their right mind mind thought it was necessary to do that but here to numbers uh, 23 7 and he took up his parable and said balak the king of moab has brought me from aram out of the mountains of the east saying come curse me jacob and come defy israel and i was thinking to myself what was this Balak doing in the East? You know what he was doing in the East. He's practicing the very divination and so forth that he was called on for to do. But yet Balak, Balaam was smart enough to recognize there is this God of creation out here and his will supersedes my will and I can't curse what God's blessed, but I can tell you how to get God to curse him. And that's exactly what he did. And so he was there, obviously, learning their ways. And ultimately, getting God to curse Israel is what he achieved by teaching Balak what he needed to do, by dressing the women putting them in close proximity with them and getting them to engage the lewd and lascivious women. Verse uh, seven and nine now of chapter two, their land, 
Jacob, the house of Jacob's land also is full of silver and gold. Neither is there any end of the house of Jacob's treasures. The house of Jacob's land is also full of horses. Neither is there any end of their chair of the house of Jacob's chariots. See, this is another one of these things that our nation here, especially a lot of the Christian right, they are right there with fist in the air saying, we need to be the strongest military. We need to, you know, they're right there with the Reagans and the so forth about, you know, uh, pass, uh, how, what did they say? Peace through strength. But, but once again, the word of God says, you don't add unto that leader chariots. You don't add unto that leader horses. He's telling you that if you truly love him, trust in him, and believe in him, you won't need any of those to rely on. And by doing that, all that's going to do is add to your burdens because he will need stable men to handle the increased number of horses. If you have a standing army, you're going to need stablemen to handle the 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 armory. And it's so obvious what he's trying to convey, what his intentions are in his will, but we just don't believe him. So we keep acting on our own accords as if we have to do something outside of his will, essentially, uh, really replacing our will with his will. And I'll admit that it's taken me some time in my own walk to recognize this. That is not what I am not saying is that that does not mean that we do not have actions that we're supposed to be about and that we take. Absolutely not. But in essence, we sometimes take the wrong actions and we're thinking that they're for the good and righteous will and they're absolutely not. And this is what I see here is that it conveys an abundance of riches, riches and those riches in and of themselves, they're not God's focus. But the idolizing, if you will, of the works of their own hands. Look at all this that we had. In fact, when you look at the end of Hezekiah's reign over Jerusalem, what did he do? He opened the door to the household and said, look at all this wealth that I have. And the Babylonians came in for the final blow. That really was the final straw to God. It wasn't so much that, um, how do I want to put this, that God looked at Hezekiah and said, you dumb fool. It was literally that he's now going to show him that all of those riches and wealths mean nothing to God. It was the obedience that meant something to him, just like clear back in the days of Saul. And that's what I see over and over and over again. I see that same theme repeated. And this is no exception. And I know we're long, Isaac, and if you need to go off or anything, you can. But um, I've got probably another 15 minutes here, so it would have been the standard time if we hadn't started a little bit late. But 
Um, another noteworthy event was um, Ahaziah in 2 Kings 1-2, where he inquired of Beelzebub if he was going to recover when he fell from his balcony. And another one that I took a note of was 2 Kings chapter 16, verses 7a, with King Ahaz calling on the Assyrian king, uh, Tiglath-Pileser, to save him from Aram and Israel, sending him actually the silver and gold of the house of Yahweh as a gift to, to do so. In other words, he basically bribed him and said, here, I'm sending you all this. Now, you better come and, and you know assist me and and come in aid with me and that's almost like saying i'm going to drag you along even though i know god's going to come in and crush us and he's going to wind up crushing you and as well because you participated yeah i was just <laughs> oh that, man in second chronicles that tells the other you know the expanded version of that story just because we were talking about uh not trust not trusting in in god and and that's exactly what he did and <clears throat> that's exactly what he did and what what Ahaz did as as the king of Judah and he went out looking for these other allies from other nations he completely turned his back on God he melted down the it says he melted down the utensils i think that's all of the temple right and made idols and put the yeah. idols all over the place and and that's as we talked about last week, that's the the backdrop that Isaiah's prophecy is written over. That's that's why the prophecy is. Written. I mean, it's not the only reason the prophecy is written. Over, but that's, you know, that's the background. Yeah, and the very thing that you just said, uh, it's not good enough. God's not good enough. Yeah, and right. really, it's they just didn't believe. All of this is happening because they're the ones doing it. And we look at America, we're the ones doing it. And that's why I've been so careful in the series that we've done where I even am trying to bring out truths regarding a people called Jews today. I'm trying to be careful in the sense that I'm not trying to cast a dispersion and a blame so as to say, this is where all your problems are arising from. If I'm going to say, you know, this is certainly a good source of of where this is happening and if you you know have something bleeding you you certainly want to get a tourniquet on it so you can cut off the flow of blood until you can make the repair uh clearly get that but i'm not one of these who just i think john even alluded to it you know constantly complaining and blaming you know a people called jews today or you know blaming blacks or you know this that or whatever else it's you know nobody wants to see what is happening to your own people and they don't want to see it happening to them because if our systems of justice and so forth have become polluted and skewed it is only it it may be that it's 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 improperly impacting them more so because there are more that are not following the ways that we used to have. Kid you not, all these years that mom was living with us, <clears throat> and in these last years, because we had the the TV that just has the Wi-Fi, the Roku thing, you know, get the old prices right. 
honestly, I've never seen black people as nicely dressed, as well-groomed as I saw on The Price is Right out of the 70s, for crying out loud. And maybe even somewhat into the 80s. And so my point is, is that there was something that still was in our society as late as the 70s and perhaps the early 80s that still existed in our societies that people wanted to live, you know, and 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 present themselves as proper and properly clothed and and, you know, all of these things that we would consider better for the society. And um, just interesting to kind of look back and think about that. And so we've allowed this deterioration because we keep going against and away from his will. So um, <clears throat> I was thinking of something kind of hit my mind about General Douglas MacArthur, and he actually called this type of stuff that you saw that that uh, Ahaz did. Um, um, I forget. I wanted to call it monetary diplomacy, you know, where you, you, and, and look at what's going on in Ukraine. <laughs> yeah. Well, look what's going on in Ukraine, monetary uh, diplomacy, throwing all this money. Mom was just complaining about it this evening. You know, it's, it's like $20 billion, $20 billion yeah, over, over, over. is between last year, last year and this year. And, and it's, it's monetary diplomacy. and this is not the ways of God. It's just not his way at all. And the second part of the sin of the accumulating aspect of the abundance of riches, uh, in Deuteronomy 17, 14, what we found was that the leaders of Israel were not to add horses, even like standing armies. I mean, what are chariots? The chariots were there for war. And they weren't supposed to have great um, national stores of treasure, you know, above and beyond, you know, what you would, you know, anticipate or for, you know, you wouldn't want to be imprudent and not be preparing for potential, you know, calamities, weather and other things like that. But this was clearly something that he he didn't didn't encourage. Now we get down to verse nine. It says, and the mean man bows down. The great man humbles himself. Therefore, forgive them not. And you're looking at that scripture. And you're going, what in the world does that mean? Don't you want the mean man to bow down and the great man to humble himself? But it's actually not what he's saying. What he's conveying is that this punishment that's going to come in this judgment is what's actually going to bring that great man down and to humble and so forth. And Isaiah's words there, therefore forgive them not, is this is that petulant child thing. The petulant child knows that if I show a little bit of remorse, and I bow down, I humble myself, then the punishment relents. You see what I'm saying? And that's exactly what Isaiah is conveying here. He's, that's why he says, therefore, forgive them not. 
do not let them for a moment think that they can bow down and and show the feigned signs of being humbled. I thought that was really, really, you know, another interesting aspect of, of you know, how, how he just works, you know. And then, of course, the mind of God being what Isaiah said. Verse 10, um, enter into the rock, hide thee in the dust for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty. You know, that's just like God actually chiding with them. Yahweh's saying, you know, go ahead, you know, hide in the rocks, hide in the dust. Um, it's, it's imagery that, you know, actually would be used about a half a millennium later in revelation. Uh, I think it was chapter two. Um, let me flip there real quick. Um, Hey, before my battery dies, um, I, I went looking the other night, um, after the, the Passover fellowship and I'm almost a- absolutely positive I'm, that that was the kingship anointing as, as well as the priestly anointing because if you I didn't look up priestly anointings but I did go back to Saul and I did go back to David and there was no real uh you know ceremony or special words or anything that were said when they were anointed and David um, if I'm not mistaken, it was just him and Samuel, you know, and Yahweh when he was anointed and he was anointed as a boy. And then he served for Saul. And technically he was the king the whole time he was playing the harp for Saul. But he was in there learning, you know, the whole kingship and how the politics and statesmanship and all that stuff works. Um, and then the other thing, like I've thought about you know the parable of the the sower and um you know i was thinking about being farmers or whatever because our two missions are we're to be the the witnesses for yahweh but then our other one is we're supposed to be sowers and i was thinking farmers but then it clicked on me the, the other night i was thinking we're supposed to be the johnny Appleseeds of yahweh where we go out and we just spread the seed and we, we don't have to worry about it. We just spread it out there, and he's the one who's going to take care of it. And then it's you know it's all on him anyways, whether you know it's going to grow or anything else. So we we just need to go out there and do our job and just speak out against the evil, and then just go and try and wake our people up and you know just give them little nuggets of truth and stuff and how we go about that at all is we have to take that a situation by situation thing and i think it would be wise for everybody to start getting little tools and stuff because there's plenty of books there's books on amazon that you can get um you know to give to people to help them wake up and like artesian publishers is a good one um they have books like tracing our ancestors and stuff that you can give to people and it's it's not a a religious type thing. It's a historical thing where they can learn and see the stuff that they've been lied to that they haven't been shown about history and stuff. Because if, at the end of the day, religion is a big part of the problem 
that religion has taken over because we're not supposed to be religious at all. It's all a, a racial covenant and a morals and ethics, and it's not a religious thing. We're supposed to be the ambassadors for our father and, you know, leading by example and blessing people and, you know, calling out the evil and things of that nature. Right, right. Absolutely. All right. So I was mentioning there about, um, you know, I, uh, Yahweh chiding with him basically in verse 10. And what I was thinking uh, being the same kind of imagery you being used, uh, you know, 500 or more years later. Um, and certainly when I was, I think in, um, in, is it, 20 in verse in revelation um somebody brought that up last couple weeks i was thinking in revelation 20 or something um but i don't know if that's where it was um i have in my head verses 17 and and 18 or something like that um but I, it's, I'm not, I'm not, it's not connecting with me right now. I just flipped back to 20 and 19 just quick while John was expressing those thoughts there. And, and, um, so I'm not knowing exactly where that was that I was thinking of, but I'll maybe pull it out next week and draw the connection there to, to revelation. But now quickly here, as we're closing in on the final here, Verses 11 to 17, I, I basically just encapsulated together as just, you know, this is, this is God will be exalted. This is, he is going to be the one that's going to be exalted. That is, that's the takeaway for me out of, out of those, those verses there. And. Uh, you know, I think they speak for themselves. And so I didn't really elaborate more than just that specific thought. Uh, we can have the haughty looks. We can, you know, act like we're doing all such great things and so forth. And, and in the end, um, he's bringing it down. And that's <laughs> just, there's just no other way to put it. Verse 19, and they shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth for the fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake terribly the earth. Now, there's more of that imagery um, that you find in, in Revelation and so forth. I, I don't know that um, if I've got a cross reference to anything in that passage or not. Um, no, I don't. I have a, a couple of other prophet, pro, prophets cross-references, Haggai and and then, of course, um, Paul's epistle to the Hebrews there on that one. But um, so, you know, um, and and this is the idea that's being presented here by Isaiah is that these men, these leaders, these rulers and so forth, these lofty ones, they're they're going to go into these caves and so forth for the fear and so forth. Um, but 
he, there isn't a hole that's gonna gonna save them because he knows where the wicked are and he's going to bring the wicked to the destruction and again the important thing is the wicked that were being destroyed yes were of the house of judah and also other nations as they interacted in relation with them that god was going to have punishment on as well and the idea is i think the idea that's presented in a day of vengeance is um um to bring down anything that really exalts against him and the next five verses really from 19 to the end are the ones that essentially just lay it all out the first thing is there's an objective in what's going to be happening secondly it's all encompassing whether it's upon the economic interest whether it's upon national uh, uh, existence and identity uh, their lands their hills their mountains anything that's exalted above him and the third thing is it's consequential in other words to ensure an absence to the ways that got them there whether it's idolatry or their pride or their illegitimate wealth their alliances with which they trusted this fear or consequence of yahweh is going to be consequential and i think that's what these verses here from 19 to 22 basically lay out and convey and you know so there we go i look at it and as i look at things today and i'm 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 surprised that our people have not woke up took a look at it and said you know we've we've got to consider getting our house in order and i know that people are right now really starting to wake up and we're finding more and more people becoming aware if you will um but so much of this bible is yet foreign to them uh, it, it appears that we still have a real good inability to actually act upon that which is in our best interest and um trust that god uh, you know finds favor with us for executing in a righteous judgment and hey uh, real quick while you're on that 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 reminds me of my grandma's favorite verse proverbs 3 5 and 6 trust in yahweh with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding acknowledge him in all your ways and he'll direct your path amen and it kind of goes back to 2 chronicles seven fourteen that you know if we turn to him and seek his faith he will heal us and heal our lands that's all it takes is just to bend the knee and just say we messed up we're sorry and honestly seek him and change our ways and that's all it would take and we could change it around in a heartbeat yeah, you know, you, you raise a good point with Second Chronicles 7.14 because the church world has been stouting that, you know, spouting that verse for so many years. And I have so often told people that, you know, there's an activating verse to that 7.14. 
If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear their land. And so it goes, it should go without saying, but in order to do what 14 says, the activating passage is in verse 17. He says, as for thee, if thou will walk before me as David thy father walked and do according to all that I have commanded thee and shall observe my statutes and my judgments, then will I establish the throne of the kingdom according as I've covenanted. And this is the thing. In order to have 14 happen, we've got to observe statutes and judgments. And then that goes right back to the church world having been derelict in teaching that the law has been done away. Not understanding, just as Paul expressed, why serve that which was added 430 years later? That is over. The rituals, the sacrifices, that's done. That covenant's been over. But the laws, statutes, and judgments have never left Yahweh's lift. And Christ even said, there will be not one tittle of the law which shall fade away till all be fulfilled in the true end and latter end that no one knows but the Father. So absolutely, and I just, I keep doing that and every opportunity that you have where people talk about Second Chronicles 7, 14, uh, take them to Second Chronicles 7, 17 and say, you know, there's an activating passage and, and that's where you'll lose them. They'll just, clam up they don't know what to say because they don't know you know the statutes and judgments they may understand 10 commandments but they've never learned what is in the pentateuch to teach us how these are to be applied in the various you know situations in which their application comes so uh, but clearly there's there's something left for us to do in order to see all of those things happen in 714. All right, now I am going to go ahead and close it up here um, because we're, we're uh, I think, at about what we would normally have been at if we hadn't had the delay this evening. So with that, I will say good night all, and we will catch everybody uh, next week. Good night all.